Okay, so welcome. Um, so this practice, this Zen practice, this Zen Buddhist practice that we uh, that we enjoy together is uh, the core of this practice is so simple. It is to just be present with every moment. And you know, that's something that's done by every bird, every tree, every squirrel, every lizard, every flower. And so why do we humans find it to be so hard to just be present with every moment? Why? <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I think it's because we listen to the chatter in our minds. We listen to the little voice that makes up stories and that convinces us to believe these stories. And then we focus on the past and we focus on the future. And somehow we just don't realize that all we need to do is to just to be present. So our teachings, our Zen and our Buddhist teachings, um, a lot of them try to help us understand the workings of our mind so that maybe we can realize, oh, I don't have to listen to this chatter. I don't have to believe these stories. I can actually release the grip of this mental uh, proliferation. I can rest in this moment, in this breath. I can open myself to feel the breath of all life pulsing. I can just feel how I'm part of this great breathing world, how I am absolutely and indivisibly connected with all other beings. So it's kind of ironic that we always use words to try to help liberate our mind from this obsessive thinking and from words. And we face this, of course, every time we give a Dharma talk. And, uh, you know, there's that classic Katagiri Roshi saying, well, you have to say something. <laughs> so um, I want to just share a, a quick little uh, story that I heard from my friend, Lori uh, McCann, who used to practice with us here in Santa Cruz, who is now in Albuquerque. And she has been really enjoying a teacher there uh, in Santa Fe, actually, called Henry Schuchman, who is the main teacher at the Mountain Cloud Zen Center. And he is aging. He's having health issues. And he's starting to step back from teaching, much to his students' sadness and dismay. And during a recent practice intensive, he was scheduled to give the Dharma talk. And everybody was all excited. And they all showed up on Zoom for his Dharma talk. And uh, he said something like this. This is not verbatim, but it's approximately what he said. He said, oh, I've prepared a wonderful Dharma talk for you. And I was going to offer it. But now I actually find that I'm not able to give that talk. So let's just sit here together for the next half hour. And he rang the bell and began to sat, sit Zazen. And that's what they did for 30 minutes. They just sat Zazen. And then at the end, he smiled and he said, well, I think that's the best Dharma talk that I've ever given. So this is our little dilemma. <laughs> you know, we know that it's just about being present with each other 
And it's just about feeling connected to the big wide world. And yet, of course, you have to say something. So we do. And this religion of silence and presence has given us reams and centuries of teachings and words to somehow try to help us be able to finally just sit in the moment with our breath. Tonight, I want to shine the light on one such teaching, and it is one of our most familiar and often chanted teachings, the Heart Sutra. It's probably familiar to um, most, if not all of you. Um, some of you probably even know it by heart. And um, I am presuming that everyone who's on this screen has at least heard the Heart Sutra. I'm looking at you all and I'm seeing that there is not a name that I know has not been exposed to the Heart Sutra. If for some reason I'm getting that wrong, wave your hand wildly so that I can see that you haven't heard the words before of the Heart Sutra. And I'm not seeing any wildly waving hands. So um, I'm going to just go ahead and talk about the Heart Sutra, uh, presuming that uh, we all have some sense of familiarity with it. Um, I was inspired to uh, offer this talk. I've talked many times over the years about the Heart Sutra. If you go back in the archives, you'll find oh, it's probably one of the things I've I've talked most frequently about every few years cycling back. I got re-inspired by um, reconnecting with the translation and interpretation by Red Pine uh, because he pointed out some things that I've I've actually never thought about and uh, about, with regards to the Heart Sutra and how it helps us in this um, strange study of using words to forget words and liberating the thinking mind through the thinking mind. When I first heard the Heart Sutra, I don't know, over 30 years ago, uh, the words seemed very strange to me, maybe even unintelligible. Um, though I must say that I was thrilled with the kind of quality of incantation that it had, especially that part, you know, where it goes, no eyes, no ears, no nose, no tongue, no body, no mind, no, 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 no. You know, it's just this, this, this beautiful, um, strange, mysterious uh, way of using language. Um, the chant that we chant in our temple and that is most frequently chanted at Buddhist temples is about 45 lines. And you might know that it that is actually a cryptic summary of a longer version, an 8,000 line version. So everything we're chanting is amplified hugely in this 8,000 line version. And that is actually a summary of a 30,000 line version, which is the which is actually the teaching of the Heart Sutra. So at the end of this talk, I'm going to give you a little bit of a taste of some of the language from the 8,000 line sutra as translated by Red Pine. But for now, I'm sticking with our familiar 45 lines. So Red Pine, also known as Bill Porter, He's a translator of Chinese, Buddhist, and Taoist texts. And one of the things he does that I think is super helpful as a way to unlock and understand the Heart Sutra is he divides it into four parts. So the first part he calls the part that's about prajnaparamita. Um, 
this is the part that begins at the beginning of the chant, Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, when deeply practicing Prajna Paramita, clearly saw that all five aggregates are empty and thus relieved all suffering. And then it goes on to talk about you know, how form is not different from emptiness, and emptiness is not different from form. So this first part is the uh, part that is called Prajna Paramita. Now, Prajna um, is wisdom, as we know, and Paramita, those are the vehicles. So the great uh, vehicle, the great vehicle, awakening vehicle of wisdom is what is talked about in the first part of the sutra. Now, of course, we know in Buddhism, wisdom does not mean intellectual understanding. What we mean by wisdom is the direct perception of what is. So in a way, this present moment awareness, that's prajna paramita, the direct perception of what is, just with no added structure, interpretation, story, language, anything, just what is. So Avalokiteshvara, the being of great compassion, the one who hears the cries of the world, is teaching in the very beginning of this Heart Sutra that all of the constituents of reality, the external constituents of form, all the things that we see that seem so solid that we have names for, and then the internal constituents of our sensations, our perceptions, our memory, our consciousness, all these constituents are known as Buddhism as the skandhas or, in, or, the, or aggregates. So Avalokiteshvara is teaching that all these different constituents, all these different ways internally and externally that we try to understand the world don't exist as separate things. They just don't. <laughs> Nothing exists apart from everything else. Forms depend on one another to exist. We know this. There's no, no form in the entire universe that exists as a separate individual entity. And sensations and perceptions and memory and consciousness and all of these internal constituents of how we form reality also depend on each other to exist. So their essential nature is their indivisibility indivisibility. And this is what we call emptiness. This indivisibility that everything is absolutely interconnected, that nothing has separate self. Everything is empty of separate self, emptiness. So Avalokiteshvara, Bodhisattva, when deeply practicing prajna paramita, clearly saw that all of these constituents of ways that we put together to try to understand the universe um, don't exist separate from one another. Form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. What might be an example of that kind of seemingly esoteric statement in real life? Well, here's a couple of examples, simple ones. I just kind of tried to pull out of somewhere. Uh, so form, let's take the organs and elements of our body. Okay. Liver, heart, 
bone, blood, nerve. There's all these different forms in our body and we have names for them and they're different from one another. They're not the same. The kidney and the heart and the liver and blood and nerve and bones are, are not the same. They're all different, but they do not exist separately. If you have a heart on a plate, that's not a body. If you have a liver on a plate, that's not a body. That's not a living body. A living body is all of these forms together, inseparable from one another, indivisible from one another, all functioning in relationship to each other. They are empty of separate existence. Form is emptiness. And emptiness is only exists or manifests through phenomena, through form. We can talk about it, but it's completely abstract. We only understand it through the interaction of form. So for example, a weather system. Let's think of a weather system as a, an analogy of, of emptiness. It's not, it's not a thing. It's a constantly changing dance of energy. It is empty of separate self. And yet we only know it through form, through the water that drenches our clothing or the tree that is uprooted by the wind and falls in the yard. This is how we are intimate with this storm. But there is no such thing as a storm. And yet a storm shows up in form. Emptiness is form. So this is the teaching of the Prajna Paramita part of the Heart Sutra. And Avalokiteshvara, basically, you know, he, he, uh, he, they, she, he, she, they, I don't know. Avalokiteshvara, I think is non-binary, <laughs> um, says uh, at some point, uh, you know, here, Shariputra, all dharmas are marked by emptiness. And Red Pine very sweetly points out that this emphatic term here, Shariputra, which is even often omitted by a lot of translators. He says it's one of the most important words in the sutra. He calls it the master's shout, the poke in the ribs, right here, right now, look at this. <laughs> we think these skandhas, these constituents are permanent and separate and they are not. And then the sutra shifts into what he calls the Abhidharma section, which is basically the emphasis of this negation. We think, it's, we think it's fixed, we think it's form, we think we know what it is, and it's not that. And it goes into the no, 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 no section, really drilling it in and driving it home. You know, uh, no eyes, no ears, no nose, no taste, no sensation, no sight, no object of mind, no realm of sight, no realm of mind consciousness. It actually goes through the entire teaching of the summary of the Abhidharma and basically negates this, this great teaching. Now, the Abhidharma is um, an abstract and highly technical uh, doctrine in, in Buddhism. It's a philosophy, it's a psychology, and it focuses in great detail on understanding the nature of experience and what it is to live with a human mind. So not that this is not important to study. We can learn so much by 
by tackling and looking at with a really close microscope, how does this mind function? How do we put together all these constituents of reality and think that that's reality? And yet it's helpful to understand these concepts, but look, Shariputra, <laughs> this teaching is saying they are not it. And so then the sutra goes to basically name each of these sections, all the constituents of your internal world, sensation, memory, perception, consciousness are not it. The ways you sense the external world, the objects of your senses, eyes and sight and nose and smell and all that is not it. The teaching of the chain of dependent origination beautiful teaching, the 12-fold chain from ignorance to old age and death is not it. The Four Noble Truths, that's in there too. Suffering, source, relief, and path is not it. Knowledge, attainment, and non-attainment are not it. So it doesn't mean we shouldn't study these venerated Buddhist teachings, but please, as the old Zen saying goes, don't confuse the finger pointing at the moon for the moon. Study about the nature of mind so that we can then let it go. I'll drink to that. Now, something Red Pine says that, again, I had never heard this before. Maybe some of you scholars here on the screen. I uh, Hi, Beata. So fun to see you here. I just noticed that you showed up. Yay. Um, he, Red Pine points out something that I, I and Jean actually pointed me towards this, too, was I, uh, helpful to understand that these different frames of reference um, mentioned in the Abhidharma are actually different ways of understanding depending on our perceptual style. So those of us who really like to see things from a mental frame of reference, it's good to study about the skandhas, the constituents of the internal world. And those who have a physical or body frame of reference, it's good to study about the relationship between sense organs and objects of perception. Those who are inclined toward logic Great study. Study the 12-fold chain of codependent origination. If you perceive the world through ethics and morality, study the, word, the, the teaching through the Four Noble Truths. So again, all of these are the different sections of the Abhidharma, and they're all not it, and yet at the same time, they can be very helpful uh, gateways for us to um, understand how our minds work. So don't think of any of these as the ultimate reality. No, 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 no. That's the middle section of the Heart Sutra. And this is a line. It's a bit of a, a mind bender, but a, a line, but I'll read it to you because I, I think it's really cool that, um, that Red Pine says, all the ways that we try to create forms and meaning, that we try to fit inside of what we call reality, we can't fit forms and meanings inside of a reality that includes all things. <laughs> it is no thing. So we, we can't, it, it's impossible to fit all these forms and meanings into something that is not a thing because it includes all things. Now, if this is 
hard to understand if your mind is spinning a little bit right now. Uh, what does this mean? It includes no thing because it includes all things. Oh my God, what does it mean, empty of separate self? Well, if you have a hard time conceiving of what this means, that's great because it is inconceivable. It is actually not able to be conceived. It is beyond conception. So if you're worried that you can't conceive it, you're on the right path. It's inconceivable. But that doesn't stop us uh, Buddhists from uh, using 10,000 words to try to describe things. And, and many of the really great Buddhist teachers like our founder, Ehe Dogen, are really wonderful helpers in terms of using language to so confuse our brains that we finally let go of trying to understand and thereby achieve enlightenment. When we finally give up trying to understand, trying to conceptualize. Well, if it's not all these things, no, 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 then where do we find refuge? Well, part three of the Heart Sutra suggests that where we find refuge is the Bodhisattva path. Therefore, Shariputra, without attainment, Bodhisattvas take refuge in Prajnaparamita and live, Red, Red Pine's translation, without walls of the mind. So bodhisattvas, those who devote their lives to helping others wake up, many, we could say, to the extent that that's our purpose, we could call ourselves small b bodhisattvas if we are devoting our lives and our practice to the awakening of others. What do we do? We take refuge in prajnaparamita. We take refuge in seeing directly into the true nature of things. We take refuge by directly apprehending the intimacy of our interdependence. We take refuge living and practicing together with all beings. And not focusing on our personal attainment, therefore, we can live without walls of the mind. Now, the version we chant, it says, thus the mind is without hindrance. I remember for a while, Catherine was so enamored with this walls of the mind that she changed our heart sutra. And we were all chanting uh, uh, without living, a, you know, not focusing on personal attainment. We can then live without walls of the mind. We did that for several years. And then I guess eventually it drifted back to thus the mind is without hindrance, which is the more common translation. But I think that go uh, um, this uh, translation of uh, living without walls of the mind is actually very, very helpful because it's super, um, super clear that the way that we hinder our um, awakening is by constructing these walls in our mind that limit our perception and that close us off from anything that's outside of our own conceptual framework. These walls in the mind that block us off from interacting with those broader forces of life. So if we go beyond these walls, we can see through our delusion and then take refuge in this direct perception of present moment awareness, unexcelled, perfect enlightenment. And we can then rest in what Red Pine calls in part four, the womb 
of Buddha, the womb of wisdom. He even has a whole book where he talks about this calling Prajnaparamita as the mother of the Buddhas, this place where everything is, um, you know, it's this, the place of creation where everything is possible, where everything and no thing exists. The sacred utterance or the mantra of great magic, which heals all suffering and is true, not false. <laughs> so uh, I see that it's uh, 701, and I'd actually like to close by uh, including some of the words uh, that are, I think, from this latter part of the Heart Sutra uh, from Red Pine. It's, it's, in fact, I have the book right here. Uh, where is it? Here it is. Oh, this is not red pine. Da, da, da. Sorry about that. The mother of the Buddhas is Lex Hickson. Okay. And this book, The Mother of the Buddhas, Meditation on the Prajnaparamita Sutra, Lex Hickson. Okay. I was telling you wrong. The translation and the four segments of the Heart Sutra, that's red pine. But this, um, the, the calling, uh, this, the um, the womb of the Buddhas. No, excuse me. Red Pine does call part four, the womb of the Buddhas. This is what's confusing me, the womb of wisdom. But here, um, this is Lex Hickson. And it is one of the translations from the 8,000 line version of the Heart Sutra. So now we're getting a sense that, you know, in our little version, it just closes with, you know, um, therefore know the Prajnaparamita as the great miraculous mantra, the great bright mantra, the supreme mantra, the incomparable mantra, which removes all suffering and is true, not false. Therefore, we proclaim the Prajnaparamita mantra, the mantra that says, gate, gate, paragate, parasamgate, bodhisattva. So I'm not sure which of those words explodes into the 8,000 line version, but I thought it would be interesting to just read a little bit of this language to you. I found it to be pretty amazing. And the title of the essay is Mysterious Doors of Omniperception. And it's at the last part of this book, The Mother of the Buddhas. And I think it's the attempt of a poetic practitioner, Lex Hickson is very poetic. Some say he takes too much poetic liberty, but I don't subscribe that anybody could take too much poetic liberty if they're a sincere practitioner who devotes their life to the Buddha way and translation. They can interpret it however they want, in my humble opinion. I think this is a kind of cool uh, way to think about emptiness or to approach this idea of this realm that is inconceivable and that is no thing and that includes all things. So this is just uh, some selections from Mysterious Doors of Omniperception. The door which opens as the clear vista of the essence, essenceless essence, the true nature of all possible structures of manifestation. 
the door to the indivisible expanse of all structures in their interdependent, transparent, and harmonious functioning. The door for clearly witnessing the unchanging and indivisible expanse of all dynamically functioning structures. So you see what they're doing here is they're basically giving us, they're trying to help us release our logical mind. <laughs> so this is the door which opens up the clear vista of all possible structures of manifestation, not just the ones you're attached to. The door to the indivisible expanse of all structures in their interdependent and harmonious functioning. The door, which when opened, explodes and obliterates any false perception or cognition of material or metaphysical structures as independently self-existing entities. The door, which simply by opening causes all phenomena, beings, and events to tremble and to lose the false sense of all their own separate and individual groundedness. The mystic door of omni-perception, which opens into intense fragrances and colors, revealing the expanse of relative structures or manifestations as an infinite profusion of flowers. The mystic door, which opens into the sublimely awakened human body, experienced as the culmination and consummation of all possible manifestation. The door to experiencing appearing structures as pure resonance without any intrinsic location or boundary. The door to the wise balance and ease, which is free from any sense of doctrinal rigidity. The door of awakening through which one gazes with awe into the limitless expanse of all structures of relativity as into the starry night sky. The door to the enlightened mood in which hesitation and vacillation of every kind disappears into universal love, generosity, and compassion. Therefore, know the Prajna Paramita as the great miraculous mantra the great bright mantra, the supreme mantra, the incomparable mantra, which removes all suffering and is true, not false. Therefore, we proclaim the Prajna Paramit mantra, the mantra that says, Gate, Gate, Paragate, Parasamgate, Bodhi, Svaha. So that's what I have to say tonight. I'm going to chant the vows. We'll have announcements and you're welcome to stick around and whatever you want to talk about related to anything I brought up or any of this amazing universe of the Heart Sutra or anything else is very welcome. So beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. <laughs>